Fire Pit Creative Group presents Aftermath, Episode 31, The Weight. Why did you want me to bring you here? Devenu asked, a dull concern in her voice. Castro surveyed the so-called debriefing room in the Phoenix Project's geriatric ward. Upright, metallic sarcophagi resembling the green stream transference coffins lined the walls. Transparent windows showed the faces of those within. He struggled to keep himself standing, leaning heavily on his cane. I was speaking with Major McGillicuddy about his father, and the conversation turned to the other founders of the Phoenix Project. He mentioned you kept some of the original survivors stashed away in seclusion from the rest of the population, spending most of their time in stasis. I wanted to see it for myself. Not me, Devenu protested calmly. I have nothing to do with what happens to the seniors. Fine. Castro managed, with difficulty, to cross the room, to peer at a chamber containing the sleeping form of Caitlin or Reardon, John Bath's mother. The central processor. The council. That's the excuse for everything. I suspected Cuddy's explanation to be a ruse, the general continued. Despite the propaganda, it would only make sense that the founders were the true members of your shadow council. You mean the Phoenix Council? More propaganda, the old man said, groaning and taking a seat. I figured the talk of a geriatric ward was merely a cover story. I asked you to bring me here to call your bluff. But now that I am looking at this, I can see how mistaken I was. Benjamin remembered the vacant stares of the elderly patients he and Danielle passed on their way to this room. Sad shells of people he recognized, shaken out of their stupor, drugged with medications, controlled by technology for a few hours a day. Past their prime, they marinated in memory, both real and imagined. Kasher was taken aback that none of them showed any sense of recognition of him. Not a glint of acknowledgement crossed wrinkled faces as old as his own. When are people sent here? he asked. It depends on the person, Daniel said, taking a seat across from him. Typically, it's when they aren't able to care for themselves. You mean when they're no longer useful? General, I didn't say that. Do they have any further interaction with the rest of the project? Of course, Danielle nodded enthusiastically. Their contributions are vital. That's why they're kept here, safe and in reasonable health. This technology allows them to pass their wisdom and experience on to the central processor. To the council, Benjamin added. Yes. A graven expression of disbelief was carved into the general's face. Pass on their wisdom? Danielle, they're catatonic. The young woman shook her head defiantly, pointed to the sarcophagi. They spend part of their day inside these chambers, mind-linked with the central processor. There's no need for words or writing. Are you saying the computer reads their minds? It's a process not unlike that in the laboratory. The general shook his head. I had a feeling. Danielle continued. 
The central processor observes their thoughts while they slumber. It's even learned to prompt their brains to relive specific experiences in their dreams. The computer analyzes decisions they made, how everything eventually played out, and learns to improve its own decision-making to avoid making the variety of mistakes made before the fall. Castro grumbled. Artificial intelligence. One of those ideas that sounds so reasonable, it can only go wrong. You mentioned the processor learned to prompt their minds. What do you mean? At the time the Phoenix survivors retreated underground, the central processor was the most highly advanced artificial intelligence in the world. As you know, the spirit of AI is that it learns, improves itself. With the help of the Council, the central processor has developed new functions over the years. Danielle, from everything I've heard or seen, the central processor controls the Council. It's a reciprocal relationship, but Danielle did not sound as sure as her words suggested. The central processor has been modified over time to better serve the Shadow Council. I mean, Phoenix Council. Castro raised an unkempt, gray eyebrow. Who's to say the processor isn't manipulating the Council? On the surface, we've witnessed AI still active, playing out war games or contingency maneuvers. Who knows if anyone is observing? This was the very reason we passed the Cairo Accords. A long pause passed between them. Danielle heard each of the general's constricted breaths. She was cognizant she held her own. Castro glanced around the room, then back at the project administrator. You know, of course, of the Vancouver incident? When Devenu shook her head, the general was reminded of just how out of place, out of time, he truly was. An artificial intelligence controlling the power grid of Western Canada developed a god complex, Castro explained, remembering the events, the briefings, and decision points abstractly. That mainframe AI initiated a meltdown of 17 nuclear power plants to bring on Armageddon. Thankfully, a failsafe was activated. The program was eliminated. The plants shut down, without a minute to spare. The incident was a wake-up call to the world powers. International laws were passed in the 2030s to curtail the development of similar machines and applications. I can't believe you never learned this. Danielle gazed at the sleeping chambers on the walls. A twitch of concern pulled at her eyes, and she frowned. We don't have extensive time to learn 21st century history, she relented. At least not all of us. Our education is specialized to our individual role in the project. People know what they need to know. You mean, Benjamin spoke pointedly, what the central processor wants you to know. Danielle shrugged. If that's how you want to see it, our focus has been survival, ensuring our way of life continues. Until recently, we have been far less fixated on what happened in the past or what the surface might be like. Surely you can appreciate this may be the very reason you were selected to lead the exploration. Devenu's comments annoyed the general. Doesn't this ignorance, or is it ambivalence, doesn't it strike you as a bit dangerous? He studied Danielle, saw through her polish and poise to the uncertainty she expertly hid. He was stunned that such an intelligent and capable person, a leader like Devenu, had never thought to ask these questions. Since his removal from cryostasis, Castro had come to accept that citizens raised in the Phoenix Project accepted strange realities without skepticism. To them, it all made sense. 
But why did those with close connections to the project's founders and the existing leadership not delve deeper into the history of the past, the conflicts that led to their survival underground? Benjamin slowly and deliberately folded his hands on the table between them. This isn't the first time one of you hasn't known basic information about the past, Danielle. You aren't a historian, and the citizens of the Phoenix Project are highly specialized. Fair enough. But these people were there. He pointed at the ceiling. This is Caitlin O'Reardon. Do you have any idea how many treaties and accords she negotiated? How much she contributed in her life before the Phoenix Project? Didn't she or any of these people fill any of you in on what happened in their lives? Didn't they write anything down? Why does your processor need to pry into their dreams like a peeping Tom? Why didn't this generation of administrators like yourself just ask them before they ended up like this? Castro swept his arms around the room, gesturing at the founders in their sleep chambers. It seemed to Danielle, Benjamin referred to himself, to his physical condition. Devenu stood. She walked around the table, placed a manicured hand on the general's shoulder. I understand it's difficult seeing your friends and colleagues like this. Benjamin rejected her overture, slammed his fist on the table to emphasize his point. Having forgotten his own frailty, he heard joints cracking. Or was it bone? Painfully, he pushed himself to a standing position. He hurt. Everything hurt. I appreciate the sentiment, he told Danielle, but I don't need the analysis. Frankly, this is all a distraction. As I mentioned, I didn't expect you to actually take me here in the first place. Now, I wish you hadn't. I don't have time for trips down memory lane when there is business at hand. Then why? Danielle took a step back, giving the old man space. You will take me to the Shadow Council, Benjamin instructed. It doesn't work like that, General. People can't directly petition the Council. We went before, Kasha reminded her. You may neglect your history lessons. They expect you to. But I intend to remind them what is at stake. Benjamin inhaled, exhaled deeply. The breath seemed to reinvigorate him, if only for a moment. I've been in enough military and civilian leadership organizations to know how these things work, Danielle. Don't feed me the usual crap. I need to speak with the council, and I want you to listen, to observe. Danielle was noticeably reluctant. I'm not going to disobey my masters. Of course you will, Castro scoffed, sooner or later, if you care about what's at stake, if you care about... There are rules, General. Danielle swiftly stepped back unsure what she was afraid of, the handicapped general's presence, or the thought of disobeying the Phoenix Council. Damn your rules, Danielle. The rules were designed to keep order here and in your world of tunnels and bunkers, but given what Cuddy, John, and I have seen on the surface, I think it's fair to say all of that is rather a tired issue now, isn't it? The game has changed. Danielle glanced up, saw several aged patients peering in the room, confused looks on their tired faces. Two robotic nurses on treads entered. Please calm yourself, sir. We shall return you to your chamber. We will bring you a sedative for your nerves. Benjamin drew energy from an unknown source, straightened his back, and raised his cane. Just go ahead and try. Danielle waved away the androids. I have him under control. Thank you. The machines backed away from Castro and Devenu. In a display that was almost human, 
They seem to look at each other, shrug steel appendages, and exit the room. When the droids were gone, Benjamin turned. No, he grinned. You don't, Danielle. What? You don't have me under control, and that's going to be a problem for you and the Council. You, Meryl, your computer. You woke me up for this exploration project, to be your guide, your expert on the surface. But you've ended up with more than you bargained for. I don't accept this nightmare as the best we can do, and I don't have any interest in preserving it. I've seen enough in my short time up there to know that there are deeper issues in this world right now than Phoenix Project Protocol. You've read my reports. You've seen Bath's observations. There are societies of genetically mutated humans living above us right now, battling it out with entire societies of humans. Humans, Danielle. Drugged patients lingered at the doorway, shaking their heads slowly, glimmers of awareness creeping across exhausted faces. From the information you and your council have been kind enough to provide me, Castro continued, up until a few weeks ago, you thought you were the last survivors. Your evolving central processor presumed the surface was a barren wasteland. You know the truth, Danielle. There are thousands, maybe millions of humans alive. They need aid, leadership. Just as much as the project has lost its history, you, we, have something to offer the survivors up there. Something critical they have lost. Surely, you must understand, as much as Cuddy and Bath do, that we have to convince the Council we must leave this place and go help our fellow survivors. Hearing Castro's argument, more seniors pushed into the room. A one-eyed woman raised her craggy voice. Did you, did you say they found people still alive on the surface? Irritated, Devenu faced the old woman. No, don't worry, Mrs. Carter, she lied. He's just having an episode. He's... Danielle felt the general's anger. Her voice turned thin, trailed off. An episode? Ha! That's always been the strategy of the conspirator, Danielle. Convince the people that the prophet is a madman, that the truth is a lie. Don't be that person. You know the truth, Danielle. Own it, and make it your own. All of you here, he addressed the assembling crowd. You were here when this project began. You did what you had to do to ensure the survival of humanity. Well, here I am to tell you humanity survived without you on the world above us. In the city of New York, humans like you and I fighting for their lives. With the technology we have down here in the Phoenix Project and with your experience, we can join them and make a difference. We can make things right. Danielle looked down saw that Benjamin barely braced himself on his cane. Castro began narrating the tales of his exploration of the surface world to the crowded room. The audience sat, spellbound, as he told them about the ruins of New York, about the mutants, and about the survivors. He held little back. Devenu sat perfectly still. She didn't know why she wasn't stopping Castro from speaking, from revealing this highly sensitive information. Something in her wanted to hear it said, and to see what would happen. The Phoenix Project has the ability to send these robot scouts to the surface, and in short order, we should be able to find a way to access whatever tunnels connect the project to the surface. We can dig our way out and begin rebuilding tomorrow, not a thousand years from now, but today. Devenu watched the patients cast nervous looks at each other. Wrinkled lips shuddered, fingers tapped at chins. He speaks like the dissidents, said one of the elders. 
In the corridor, the robotic nurses tried steering patients away from the general. Many resisted, summoning what little energy they had. He's saying there are survivors on the surface, the one-eyed woman said, turning to the others. They need help. They need our help. Control yourselves, one of the robots spoke with authority. A dull beeping sound emitted from the back of its metallic head. Security is on its way. Danielle stepped in front of the general. That is unnecessary, she told the robots. Please. The one-eyed woman spoke again. If there are people there, that means the radiation must be lower than we thought. If people can live on the surface, we need to begin plans for evacuating the project and recolonizing. Thank you for sharing this idea, ma'am. Please return to your room. We will bring you something to help you calm down. The crowd was growing unruly. I think we've been calm long enough. We need to get back to work. Don't touch me, you old rust bucket. I'm calling Jennifer to tell her everything. People need to know. As if her actions were practiced, the young project administrator helped the robots guide the elderly patients back out into the hall. She closed the door. Without facing Castro, she let out a long sigh, then asked, Why are you doing this? Benjamin recognized few of the seniors listening in on his plea, but some of them spoke excitedly about his full-hearted revelation. A smile slowly crossed his face. They deserve to know. All of them. Danielle turned. You've made so much progress, General. This will only complicate things. Castro stared straight at Devenu. A hush filled the room. Through the door, they heard more robots joining the others in the corridor, presumably taking charge of the seniors gathered there, sedating them, escorting them back to their shared rooms. You agree with me, Danielle, but you're afraid. I understand. Danielle walked to the table. She slumped down into a chair. Why did she feel defeated? Was it because she couldn't control the general? Or because she knew he was right? If it was the latter, mounting an exodus from the subterranean project posed a host of logistical and other challenges she knew she was not prepared for. Benjamin let his cane fall to the floor. I'm asking you to trust me, Danielle. He braced himself against the old, wooden table. Like I took a chance, trusting Jacquees Devenu, a man everyone dismissed as a conspiracy theorist, a kook, but he was right. Danielle glanced up from her seat, saw the intensity in the general's gaze. What did you say? Before Benjamin could respond, the lights flickered, the floor beneath them rumbled. A klaxon somewhere rang out, echoing in the Phoenix Project's tunnels. How many times had Benjamin heard that sound? It wasn't unlike that fateful day when he was whisked away from the embassy. Danielle glanced down at her wristband. A code flashed across the device. Stay here, she told the general. I can make it back to the lab on my own, Benjamin said, pushing himself up from the table. No. There was tension in the project administrator's voice. She leaned in, whispering into the old man's ear. The dissidents. Devenu fled from the convalescent home, bypassing slow robots speaking in distorted, electronic tones. She walked purposefully, down a winding flight of stairs to one of the all-access corridors. Citizens leaned stiffly against the walls, some at attention. They watched technical crews, law enforcement, and other personnel weave up and down elevated planks. Danielle jogged down a descending ramp. 
She glanced at her wristband, saw that she was being summoned. Hey, watch out! A taller woman almost crashed into the project administrator. She wore the attire of those who worked in the hydroponics lab. Watch where you're going. Danielle frowned, bypassing the woman on her way to the administration lift. There, she flashed her keycard. A curved door slid back slowly. Danielle stepped into the elevator. She held the coated wristband near a red laser scanner. A loud, deep beeping sound filled the lift. Motors hummed, but Danielle was unsure if they were above or beneath her. Stand in the center of the lift. Danielle felt her own nervousness. She did as instructed. Red light filled the elevator. Curved walls collapsed away from Devenu. For a moment, she was in darkness. Only the lift's LED-lit base was solid beneath her feet. The crimson light diminished. Suddenly, the project administrator found herself on a platform at the center of a circular room. Danielle had never been called to the Phoenix Project's command center. As the administrator of the secret project in the lab, she reported directly to the Phoenix Council. She never needed to be here. Devenu scanned the room, saw her counterparts, much older peers standing at consoles named for each division. Maintenance, material resources, hydroponics and consumables, waste control, academics. Most activity was focused around the law enforcement station, where officers in riot gear hunched over a cubicle. They watched multiple screens intently, quietly, giving orders to the seated technician. Multicolored lights blinked on terminals. Screens flashed with activity, revealing various areas of the project. Multiple angles, all designed to observe the citizens, to capture them in motion or in quiet moments. Every public area was visible, scrolling or frozen. Danielle couldn't help but think of her lover, Gabriel Princip, who worked in the law enforcement division. Surveillance gave Gabriel a unique perspective. He had access to sounds and images of the project's citizens, in particular, those suspected of being hostile to others, a threat to the council or the central processor. She glanced over at the law enforcement station. Was that Gabriel or someone else? Excuse me. A smoke-colored robot with human characteristics approached Danielle. Its voice was not unlike that of the Shadow Council's unusual electronic monotone. Laboratory Project Administrator Devenu, your control console is this way. The robot gestured. Steel bars moved inside its mechanical arm. Wires wound around its elbow, down to a square paw. Shaken, Danielle held her hands close to her. She walked to the cubicle labeled Laboratory. To her surprise, Donna Chang was seated at a console more sophisticated than those they operated in the cluttered basement. Donna, Danielle spoke softly. She glanced around the circular room, trying to get a sense of it, what was expected of her. There have been coordinated attacks on several locations in the project. Donna sounded slightly more concerned than usual. Danielle held her fingers to her lips. The lab? Yes, Chang nodded. But the security doors held. As far as we can tell, so far there was no damage. Devenu leaned close, hovering over Chang's shoulder. Her eyes widened as she watched the engineer rewind the video. The images showed an overhead view outside the laboratory door. Two masked citizens threw incendiary devices at the door. Smoke trailed from the hallway. The dissidents fled up the ramp, away from the lab. 
Reports are coming in now, Cheng said, scrolling through information on the screen. Other areas attacked. Damage assessments. Witnesses. Dissidents apprehended. Any names? Danielle asked, looking around the room from one cubicle to the next. Not yet. Cheng shook her head. Danielle watched the crowd at the law enforcement console. A plan was forming. Where's Colonel Marsh? she asked. Donna swiveled slightly in her chair, followed Danielle's gaze around the room. Don't know, she shrugged. Maybe on patrol. Maybe... Danielle held up her electronic wristband. All administrative personnel were summoned. Marsh should be here. She should be the one to address a central processor about strategy. Donna pointed at a message scrolling on her terminal. Good, she said. Looks like the situation is contained in all areas. I suppose the crisis is averted. At least for now. The engineer's words hung in the air. At least for now. Danielle thought about General Castro, how he implored her to force the hand of the council, to take decisive action. But the dissidents had beaten her to the punch, and Project Administrator Danielle Devenu was afraid of what was going to happen next. Creative Group Production, based on a story created by Rhett Davis, with characters created by Rhett Davis, Warren Davis, Willem Degree, and Cole Hoopengarner. Written by Warren Davis, with contributions from Cole Hoopengarner and Willem Degree. Narrated and produced by Cole Hoopengarner. Music by Warren Davis, and video production by Willem Degree. The sound effects used in the production of Aftermath are used with permission by the creators, and links to these sound effects can be found in the description section of each episode. Please visit our website, aftermathpodcast.net, for updates, original artwork and music, character dossiers, and more. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at Fire Pit Creative Group Official, on Twitter at Group Fire Pit, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Group, and on YouTube at Fire Pit Creative Group. Aftermath and its story, characters, music, and artwork are copyrighted by Fire Pit Creative Group.